Hi, I'm your host, Susan Nay. Welcome to the podcast series, HR Inside Out. It's a series designed to help you demystify HR and the human resource processes. We're going to talk about people management and get the goods on and see how all this stuff works. You're going to hear from everyday heroes and get their perspectives as we touch on a wide variety of topics, topics that impact us in our work and in our work environments. You'll find nuggets for your treasure chest of learning. Hopefully you'll discover insights for your personal and your professional growth. I'm glad you're here. I suspect it's because you want to be the very best version of yourself, your personal best, and that you get understanding these systems and processes will help you on your journey, on your path. You ready to dare to soar? Want to join me at flight school? Let's do this. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, welcome to the podcast HR Inside Out. I'm your host, Susan Nay. And with me is the Chief Motivating Officer of Ignite the Dream, Sam Thiera. Welcome, Sam. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Susan. I look forward to being able to share some insights with your audience members. Oh, lucky us. <laughs> Thank you for saying yes. I was actually encouraged to reach out to you by a friend and colleague, Susan. Susan, you have to connect in with Sam, and I'm absolutely thrilled that I did. I have so enjoyed talking to you and learning more about you. Mm-hmm. which I'm going to just jump into. I like to encourage people to dare to soar, and you absolutely do the same thing in the work that you're doing. And you're such an incredible role model of this. You are faculty at the Beatty School of Business with Simon Fraser University. Your, your students are fortunate to have you as an instructor and as a coach uh, with the work that you're doing. You're also involved in a ton of other en- endeavors, including a lot of different volunteer activities. In my learning more about you, I came across a YouTube video um, that is a TEDx SFU talk. And for our listeners, it's available on YouTube. And I will put the link to that in the show notes to the podcast. You titled it Discovering the Extraordinary in the Ordinary. And I love that you used a door jam to explain a point. And I would love that you would share the relevance of this door jam with our listeners as we as we just jump right in. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the premise of the talk was about how do we discover the extraordinary in the ordinary? And I think we oftentimes go through life in autopilot. Uh, We have our routines and the routine, unfortunately, dulls our senses to the point where everything is ordinary now. And instead of that, I said, well, how about we start focusing a little bit more on the smaller things that actually are extraordinary? And through this, what I created was this concept and idea, which I called, you know, discovering that extraordinary in the ordinary. And the way I do that is through a concept that I call carpe. So carpe, as in carpe diem, seize the day. But carpe is how I'm able to convert the ex- the ordinary into the extraordinary. And what and I'll sh- and I'll demonstrate that through this door jam piece. Okay. Is the idea is curiosity, appreciation, reflection, perspectives, and experience. Curiosity is this idea that, you know, something should stop us. We are curious about it. And instead of just walking past, let's let's stop and, and wonder. And once your curiosity kicked in, then it's about appreciation. In other words, appreciate something for more than what it is. There's some depth here. And the only way that you can appreciate it is by reflecting on it and adding more purpose and meaning to it. And when you're reflecting, we bring in our own perspectives to add more purpose and meaning to it. And the E, which is experience, means how do we capture this as an experience, as a story, so that our story does not die an untimely death? In a roundabout way, so that that, uh, wooden wedge doorstop is the example I use, because I remember walking towards this university door to get into the building, and the door was propped open by this wooden wedge doorstop. And I just for whatever reason, I just stopped and I looked at this wooden wedge doorstop. And the idea, though, is that that's the curiosity piece because I stopped. And then I started looking at this doorstop while standing there and I appreciated it for what it was doing. It was holding the door open for me. And I started then reflecting on more depth and detail about this doorstop. 
And I'm sure that the people from outside are like, why is he standing there looking down? I mean, is there something like what? And then, I don't know, maybe they were intrigued, but here I am standing there. Uh, curiosity's kicked in. I appreciate something for more than what it is. And I'm reflecting on it. And I'm building my perspectives of, yeah, no, I mean, somehow this is very representative and reflective of my journey, my life. Mm. And it suddenly hit me that really what this doorstop is, is holding the door open for me. And it reminds me that there were people who held the door, not only opened the door, but held the door open for me. So I actually have many wooden wedge doorstop uh, individuals in my life who I have to be appreciative of because they've, they've opened doors and held the doors open for me so I could go through them. I captured this as an experience. And then that becomes cataloged in my mind so that when somebody is asking me about a, a coaching piece and about you know the you know tell me about you know the people in your life that uh, helped you along the way I'm all of a sudden triggered to that point of this wooden mm -hmm. wedge doorstop and I can use that as an analogy and that's just a simple way of how you take something ordinary and convert it to something extraordinary just by being able to use that whole concept of carpe I love that because it's 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 also a reminder to us just to be in the moment. Mm -hmm. and it's those small details that really make life mm -hmm. fabulous. Absolutely. If we, I mean, it, if we allow it to. Oh, absolutely. And this is how, you know, I've been able to take a, a single piece of a jigsaw puzzle and given over 5,000 pieces in the world, but it reminds people how important they are because what I share with them is, you know, here's a puzzle piece. And if I give you a piece of the puzzle, what can you do with one piece? And they're like, well, not much, nothing. And I said, exactly, because it's ordinary. And that's what you feel like. But remember, look at it from a different perspective. I can't come finish my puzzle without you. I've just given you a piece. And then suddenly I see the transformation in their face of how important that puzzle piece is now. And that's, again, the taking something ordinary and making it extraordinary. And that's what I wind up doing through life is sort of converting things and then coming up with analogies that become strong points for me to share with individuals. And I, I think when, you know, and we're going to get into the anchors and the, um, and further along on the podcast, but um, that's how we remember mm -hmm. you know, when we're able to use stories and connect, yeah. connect, you know, important things to things that are easy mm -hmm. to remember. Um, yeah. yeah, it makes, it makes a huge difference. And I know that's what you're doing with everyone that you're working with. Your favorite saying is everyone's life is an autobiography, make yours worth reading. And I, I think it kind of continues on that if you keep doing things like this, then you can't help but. But can you add a little bit more? Absolutely. For the quote, everyone's life is an autobiography, make yours worth reading. It's an epiphany that I had for myself because at a certain point in my life, you know, I had this idea and thought that, yeah, wait, I'm I'm writing my own autobiography. And what is it that I wanted to say? But then I share that with other individuals to remind them that, you know what, you're a living story. And it layers into that whole concept of discovering the extraordinary and the ordinary in that, you know, we are all living stories and we're writing our own autobiography page by page, chapter by chapter. And it's just this reminder to go out there and seek out your brilliance, because I think sometimes we we forget. And I I remember that in, well, I've been to so many graduation ceremonies at SFU, but I think uh, probably about 10 different situations when the student is now speaking as the valedictorian, that quote has been quoted about 10 times uh, by my students to say, it reminded me that I'm building an autobiography. And you know what? I do want to make it worth reading. So it's, it's, a, it's a way for individuals to realize as a, as a bit of a reminder, you know, the things that I'm doing, I need to capture. And oftentimes people are like, yeah, but who's going to be interested in my story? Or I haven't done anything. I said, no, no. If it's number one, important to you, it is definitely a story worth sharing. There are people who may, who will be interested mm -hmm. in it. And the idea is whether you like it or not, 
you are building an autobiography. This is your life. And let's go out and make it interesting, engaging, and make it yours. I don't think we give ourselves enough credit for the Mm -hmm. fact that each of us is unique. And, you know, not everybody's going to read, want to read our story, but um, you just, you never know the individual out there that that could make a world of difference for. Um, Mm -hmm. Speaking of which, um, you went on your own journey. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've written a book, Lost and Found, Seeking the Past and Finding Myself. And it was based on your own journey to find your roots. Mm -hmm. You were successful, but it was quite an experience for you. Um, If you could share a little bit more about your yeah. putting your journey um, sure. into words for us. Yeah, it the journey itself was a two-phase journey or two-part journey. First part is the fact of identity. I mean, I'm a British-born Canadian. Parents are from Fiji and grandparents are from India. And I had this sense and feeling that part of my, from an identity standpoint is, you know, I'm from everywhere, but I'm from nowhere. Meaning there's really not... Yeah, I may be from many places, but but which one really is mine or home or or mm-hmm. in that regard? And I just remember from that standpoint of identity is my life was always a tali. And a tali is an Indian platter with segmented dishes. So I'm British, Indian, Canadian, and Fijian. Mm-hmm. I mean, and for 11 years, I played in an Irish military pipe band. So maybe there's some Irish chutney in there as well. <laughs> and um But the epiphany I had on the journey to India while I was in search of my roots is the fact that instead of focusing my life as a Tali and segmented different cultures and backgrounds, I'm actually a rice dish called Kichari. And it's an Indian rice dish, which is a blend of flavors. It'd be the equivalent of somebody making an omelet or if you're Korean, bibimbap or, you know, chow mein. I think sometimes what we do is we try so hard to identify ourselves and and categorize ourselves with a unique identity, when in fact, actually, we're a blend of flavors. And and it helped me to realize that instead of segmenting, depending on which group I'm with, I actually can embrace them all at the same time and, and appreciate and embrace them all and have this uniqueness. So that was the 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 part about that identity piece that emerged out of that uh, that journey. The journey to find my ancestral roots, though, was was a challenge because all I had was a faded photograph, uh, old dingy yellow faded photograph, and little bit of information. So here you are going to a country of like back then maybe about one point four billion people, uh, with a photograph and very little information to go find your grandfather's house, and. The interesting thing was that the people would say, you're not going to find it. Why are you looking? Uh, You may not get a good reception. There wasn't any sort of level of encouragement of, yeah, you can do this. You know, there's a a need for you to do this. Or, And it was interesting because people who are even from the area said, no, never heard of your village name. And, uh, you know, I thought it was going to be such a difficult search. So Think of it this way. Here you have a foreigner going to a land that should not be foreign to them because I had never been to India in search of a needle in a haystack and not even sure where the haystack was. And there were setbacks, but through some cosmic intervention, I was able to eventually find a woman in, you know, based on the journey, it wasn't as simple as just showing up somewhere and somebody sees themselves. But mm, yeah. through this process, you know, and and narrowing it down, we finally got to a place where, you know, a woman looks at this picture at, at a house where they think that it was. And she said, that's me in the photo, but who are you? So she recognized herself in this aged photograph. And uh, that's how I was able to find my ancestral roots, my grandfather's house. But the important thing here is the fact that, uh, you know, identity, I think, is is important or is this sense of belongingness. And, you know, fortunately, I was able to find my grandfather's house. But I've had many conversations with people who said, you know, I will never find my roots. Uh, You know, I had one gentleman uh, in the States with his background coming from Sicily, for example. And uh, he just said, no, it's amazing you were able to find your grandfather's house we have no records of anything with regards to ancestors from Sicily, but we know that's where they're from. 
And we talked and I said, but have you been to Sicily? He said, no, no, I, I've been there. And I said, but when you were there, did you find a connection? And he said, well, yeah, that I found a connection, but that's all. Like I never found the place. I said, well, you just did the same thing I did. It just, you found this connection that brought you to a place that feels like home. And it may be a wider scope or space, but you've done the same thing I did. And he suddenly realized, he said, I guess I did. And I said, embrace it. Like the fact that you were able to do that. And, you know, so that's what this journey was about. Uh, to reclaim my own identity, but also to seek out my ancestral or the past. And that's why the book is called Lost and Found. It was, everything was lost and eventually I found it, but I had to seek the past mm. in order to find myself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you see the popularity of the ancestry.com and, you know, mm -hmm. my, the number of people I know that are doing the saliva tests and, you know, looking, mm -hmm. looking to find, um, I just remember in my early 20s, I backpacked Europe and with no intention whatsoever, I all of a sudden I was in Paris and saw Le Treport, France. And I thought, I have to go there mm -hmm. with a backpack on my back. I found my great grandfather's grave. Wow. And yeah. it was, you know, my grand, grand, my grand, more cemetery and a gentleman in line waiting to, to take the train to Paris said, I think I know where, I, and there's thousands of graves there. Mm -hmm. And just yeah. as I found it, the sun came out in this beautiful pink rose, which was a, it's always been my grandma to me, um, was hanging over the, the grave site. I mean, it was just the most incredible experience. So uh, it really yeah. is an encouragement to people to, to take the time. Mm -hmm. It was, yeah, it was one yeah. of those, one of those milestones in a lifetime. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm sure that, that was the experience for you as well. It was. And the only suggestion I have for people is start early, because oftentimes we do this later in life and the information evaporates over time because people forget uh, key elements and details or, you know, people pass on and then the information even gets far more remote and removed. So start early. It doesn't mean you again, you have to find the exact location and things. But uh, then I agree, then venture out to the place knowing that this is where maybe some of your ancestral roots are from and, uh, and be open to that experience. I think to add to that too, is where you've got, you know, aging relatives, mm -hmm. have those conversations with them, because as you get older, you go, mm -hmm. what, what did my great grandma do, you know, when mm -hmm. she, you know, when she ventured across the Atlantic Ocean and found herself in Alberta at that point, um, mm -hmm. because, you know, it may be too late. So um, I'm glad that yeah. we talked about this. Now, as, as part of your sharing, you blog. Mm -hmm. And um, I particularly enjoyed, I read a number of them, but your 60 reflections on turning mm -hmm. 60 was quite interesting. Right. And you talked about an over, overarching theme of you, your life has mm -hmm. been living in gratitude. Mm -hmm. um, and that that's really positively impacted you. Can you share a little bit more? I mean, it makes sense, but I'd like to hear from your perspective. And and I think based on our conversation, it, it things are layering in and uh, sort of there's common threads here. Uh, because the idea is, I, again, I think that we go through life in autopilot and busy. And gratitude to me is an, an appreciation for the people around me, the things I get to do, the stories that I, that I get to build. And I think, uh, I don't think we show enough gratitude or that people show gratitude back. And, and I'm in a, an a amazing place because, I mean, I'm able to share gratitude with people, but equally, I every day I'm getting notes of gratitude of uh, you know, things that uh, people are saying, you know, I still remember, you know, you gave me a puzzle piece back 10 years ago, or, you know, would you be able to grab a coffee? We haven't talked in ages. And, you know, you just sort of pick up where you leave off. Um, so gratitude, I think, is something that we need to express more to talk about the things that we are grateful for. I mean, there are certainly challenges. There are certainly things that we can be um you know, thankful for, um, you know, it's not a matter of my world is um, full of cotton candy clouded world with unicorns and rainbows. No, there are challenges in my life. But one thing I've, I've said, though, is that, you know, I cannot control 
what happens around me, but I can control how I'm going to react to it. And when you take control of this, a level of gratitude, even in the most challenging times, seems to penetrate in. But again, you have to have an open mind to this and not look at it as an absolute of something happened, this is good, or something happened, this is bad. Um, you know, don't berate yourself too much if it's something on a challenging side. And equally at the same time, don't gloat about it if it's a success. Mm -hmm. um, again, going back to what you just said is oftentimes I'm sharing with my students that um, I'm sorry, but so many times as an example of gratitude, I said uh, too many times we, we easily throw the word failure around. And I hear this on a regular basis, you know, mm -hmm. um, what is your failure in life or, you know, this didn't happen. So this is a failure. And I said, actually, I don't like the word failure. Failure is fatal. It's the end. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had many setbacks, but no failures. A setback means the exact same thing happened, but instead of looking at it as fatal and final, I get back up, dust myself off, learn from the experience and emerge even stronger. So, you know, I think gratitude is all this idea of getting back up again, becoming stronger and moving forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, I so agree with you. Um, thank you. I was going to take you to point number seven, change the world it is possible. But I think you kind of talked about that with your puzzle piece. Um, um, just that, should, is yeah. there anything else you want to share on that point? And it's the I same point for our listeners. No, no, definitely. I mean, I think that the point itself is the fact that, again, we sometimes feel minuscule in the whole spectrum of what life is. And the concept and idea is that, you know, through our eyes, we cannot change the world because it's complicated. Uh, it's complex. There are so many factors and you possibly cannot make a difference in this world. And that thought and idea that you can and you have changed the world is the idea that being present for somebody or sharing some time the idea is change the world through the eyes of the individual that you are helping now you don't want to change the world to what you think they should see it as mm -hmm. it's more of listening to them supporting them because if you're present and as a result of your presence they see the world differently because of things you've shared and talked about Actually, you've changed the world. So change the world through the eyes of the people you help, as opposed to trying to change it through your eyes. And I will guarantee and ensure you that every single one of us has changed the world, but we just never look at it from that lens or that perspective. Mm -hmm. And we never know the ripple effects. Yep, absolutely. You know, yeah. Um, as you know, as you were sharing, the students that come back to you years later mm -hmm. for the um, valedictorian um, yeah speeches that include yeah. uh, some of the lessons from uh, your time with your students. Yeah. Um, point 43, mm -hmm. there will always be haters. Mm -hmm. And I know that when, when we're encouraging people to be their best selves and to put it all out there, that there creates both the need for courage, but also some vulnerability. And what we put out there isn't always positively received. Can you share a little bit more about your own experiences? And obviously, mm -hmm. this was an important piece for you to add it mm -hmm. to your 60. Yeah, I think uh, as you move forward with the best of intentions, and when I talk about haters, there's a, there's a difference between haters and those who may um, offer criticisms or um, words because I think there's a there's a line here because a hater is just somebody who just will come back and, you know, like I'll give you an example on my first TEDx speech, you know, there was a few, you know, people that said, oh, you know, we really enjoyed it and all of that. And one guy who I have no idea who he is just put down worst TED talk ever. Stop reading your notes and stop talking about yourself. Ooh, yeah. So that's that's a sting and it's a barb. But I thought to myself, and I and you know, I thought to myself, okay, number one, I didn't have like notes that I'm reading. I had a cue card with three bullet points, and I'm looking at the audience if you watch the TEDx speech. Mm -hmm. And it's on personal storytelling. So if it's personal storytelling, do not do I not have to share 
my stories that allows you i don't think the person even watched the talk because even the personal stories that i was sharing it wasn't about me it was about you know the things that are expand on the personal storytelling front and rather than just responding in an angry way i think sometimes what we need to do is take a moment or two and I didn't want to respond to him directly, but I just basically responded in a way which said, you know, I'm not sure what you were talking about, but equally at the same time, you took this lovely experience and tried to mar a lovely experience. And yeah, no, I mean, they do hurt. It stings and it's a barb. I mean, you could have a hundred people tell you how wonderful it was. And that one comment, we dwell on that one comment. And I think uh, what we need to do is, again, I, I look at it from the perspective, thankfully, I'm not that person who goes around damaging and feeling a sense that I can hide behind this anonymity and uh, damage someone. Why, why would you want to? I want to build people up. I don't want to bring them down. Mm -hmm. so that's, that's one point. And the second part is, you know, and I tell my students this as well, and professionals when we're talking about uh, communication, is don't respond right away. Yes. Take a moment, a day or two, and whatever you write, read it back to yourself. And number one, is it going to inflame this person? Because if it does, then um, you've actually helped them accomplish what they wanted to do. Does it... Um, is it written in a way that is more professional, which makes them look ridiculous, which takes that time? And I always say that, uh, you know, anytime there's rational logic and emotions, and if they're in alignment, you know you're in the right space. But the moment you receive something and you reply right away, your emotions have already gone up here. And there's a misalignment between rational logic and emotions. And as a result, what you're writing filters and feeds into this person and that's exactly what they're looking for and i'm i'm like i'm sorry i'm not going to give you the credibility or i'm not going to give you the response that you're looking for simple as that those are such good points because that amygdala reaction the you know you're being mm -hmm. attacked so that primal want to respond back and how important that power of the pause is yeah. Um, and recognizing that, you know, don't let it take you out. It's a choice. Mm -hmm. And as you're sharing that curiosity, you know, yeah. why in the world, you know, just mm -hmm. that's another human being. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, there's some people that feel a need to try to bring mm -hmm. people down, but it becomes our choice as to whether or not we allow it. But it takes yeah. that. Oh, <laughs> it does. <laughs> um, sometimes. And, and I think important to talk about it because. Yeah. It happens, and you've given really good points about how mm -hmm. to counter that. You shared with us your love of acronyms. Um, mm -hmm. You talked about how you have found that they help you remember what's important. So I know with Carpe as your example, yeah. um, curiosity, appreciation, reflection, perspective, and experience work for you. Can you mm -hmm. talk a little bit more about just generally how you use Mm -hmm. um, acronyms to help you move forward on your life. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, when there's something that uh, is out there, uh, I'll give you another acronym, for example. I mean, looking at COVID and, and reflecting on it and going, every single person has been impacted by this. Individuals, teams, organizations, educational institutions, and nonprofits is, has been impacted. And I said, but if I'm not wanting to be a bystander in life, what can I give society? What can I give to help us become better? And then, you know, this idea just popped in my mind that, you know, really what's missing in this world is that we need to care for each other. And as I looked at the word care, suddenly it was like, okay, but it's okay to say we need more care, but what do I mean by this? And when I start diving deeper into it, I suddenly came up with, you know, and then these words were, were what I started writing and visioning is collaboration, adaptability, resilience, and empathy. So I say, so, I mean, do you care? Collaboration, adaptability, resilience, and empathy. But then it was more like collaboration is this idea that, you know, 
we all have strengths and things that we do well, but we also don't do it all. Collaboration is finding people that complement and support us and we can support and complement them. And adaptability is don't fear change, embrace it because that's where magic happens. But if you have collaboration, adaptability becomes that much easier because you're not in, your, in this by yourself. And then once you have that adaptability, you can build that resilience in, in the sense that our life is a marathon and there's going to be challenging times and then there's going to be easy, easier times. So how do we build the resilience in to help us smooth out some of those aspects? And finally, empathy is this whole idea of care and compassion to each other because desperately need. We don't know what people are going through. So rather than responding in an abrupt way, how about we take a moment to say, okay, maybe the person is going through a challenging time and how can I support them? Mm -hmm. uh, so for me, it's it's trying to simplify or make uh, things easier for, for people to absorb because then it becomes an acronym that sticks in people's mind. And they were like, okay, well, yeah, collaboration, adaptability, resilience, and empathy. And it's like, well, that's, that's pretty straightforward. And, and, yeah. and how can I incorporate those words into my life? And then it enables us to then move forward from that, as opposed to just saying, yeah, COVID was really bad. How are we moving forward? And then we try to come up with ideas. So the, I find acronyms, they're actually for me, but they actually then impact society as well when it's required and i'm always sort of thinking of like when when a word comes to me is okay let me break it down and i don't just randomly find words to make that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. those words but they yeah, actually start yeah. emerging yeah and that's where uh you know you start and it becomes like an epiphany going like oh my gosh i think i've just found something really unique and this is now the do you care has become uh, one of my signature talks that I do at the corporate level or at educational institutions when I teach my classes, because it, it is something we need to incorporate into society. Mm -hmm. I agree. Uh, mm -hmm. Joy for me is just open yourself. Yeah. It's like yeah. you can't experience joy until you just open yourself. And it does mm -hmm. mean a lot more than just the word joy. Yeah. And it does when you think of the word um, like care, it's it just it's a much more expansive meaning. Mm -hmm. So, but there, and it, but it brings it to a center point, which is easy to digest mm -hmm. and then build from. Yeah, yeah. And people's acronyms may be different, like different oh, uh, yeah. different words that they use and and different yeah. meanings for them. Yeah. Um, but again, it just it makes, um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's just another mm -hmm. one of those great tidbits. Thank you. Yeah. You also did a video titled, Who Are You?, mm -hmm. where you speak about helping people discover who they are, and it's not necessarily about mm -hmm. what they do. Right. Because we often identify with the, that, who are you? I'm a mm -hmm. contractor. Yeah. I'm a yeah. faculty member. I'm a whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and part of the work that you do with individuals through your uh, Ignite the dream coaching mm -hmm. is helping them discover their five key elements. We referred mm -hmm. to one of yours earlier, mm -hmm. what you called their anchors. Mm -hmm. And just as an example, you noted that yours are servant leadership, being a storyteller, no surprise. <laughs> Activism, being a champion enabler, again, no surprise. And being a community do-gooder. And I love that do-gooder is not in the dictionary. And you said, nope. who cares? <laughs> so how do you help people find their own key elements yeah i mean it's it's something that is self-imposed on me because i was in a corporate job and in a job that i don't know i could do the job but it wasn't me it's the equivalent of an of an analogy of you know i'm wearing a suit that doesn't fit that suit is a career and I looked around the room and there were many people wearing an ill-fitting suit or ill-fitting career. They're doing the job, but it just wasn't them. And I thought to myself, okay, instead of wearing this career that doesn't really fit, what is it that I want to, to do? So I started looking around and thinking about it. And I, and I told myself, I said, okay, if I'm going to be moving from this position, what are things that I'm not willing to compromise? And 
I came up with five words that I think I'm not going to compromise in life and career, not just career, but it had to be life and career. And the interesting thing is when I reflected on the job I was doing, it hit zero out of five. It was like I was empty on that front. Wow. And then I got into this uh, position of road safety. And that's where I, we met our mutual friend. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Immediately that hit five out of five. And I suddenly realized this was fulfillment. I mean, I loved going to work on Mondays and I mm -hmm. enjoyed engaging with the community. And it, 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 the vibrancy of that, I created a tailored career, a tailored suit as a result. The idea around this is, and what I carried forward is, um, we're not defined by what we do, we're defined by who we are. And we go down a pathway, but we never really have taken the time to understand or appreciate who we are. And the way I break it down is to say, what are the five things that you are not willing to compromise in life and career? And for me, as you mentioned, it's servant leadership, story sharing, activator igniter, champion enabler, and a community do-gooder. And those have changed over time because we change as individuals. Don't be mm -hmm. afraid to change. I think that's one of the fear people have is, oh, you're making me pick five things. What if they're not the right words? Mm -hmm. And I said, but you can change this but you anchor it as your foundation. I mean, Susan, when we look to buy a house, we get a home inspector to come in, look at the foundation. Is it solid? When have we done that for our life? Mm -hmm. So when we do the five core elements piece, it's like, what is your foundation? And then let's look at your current job. How many does it hit? Does it hit one out of five, four out of five, three out of five? What's there and what's missing? And, you know, it provides the, the, the confidence of somebody to say, okay, um, this is what it is. And the way that you come up with these five core elements is, you know, or as I coach them is I'm not going to tell you what the words are, but I'm going to say, okay, in the current job you're in or previous jobs you've had, what did you enjoy and what did you not enjoy? Tell me why. Mm -hmm. And then it's, what about when you were in school? What did you enjoy taking or didn't enjoy taking? Tell me why. What do you like to do in your spare time? Tell me why. And then we keep asking the why piece. And eventually, we fashion around these words. So for example, oftentimes when I do this exercise, I get people saying, yeah, one thing I'm not willing to compromise is family. Family is really important to me. And I said, okay, tell me why. And they're like, well, you know, and they go down to detail and they tell me about connections and they talk about relationships and it's my immediate family, it's my extended family, et cetera, et cetera. And as we keep asking the why, at the end, then at the end, I just sort of say, okay, you mentioned connections and mm. relationships. Does that apply in your work environment? And they're like, oh, for sure. Does that apply when you were in school? Oh, absolutely. Does it apply in your social life? Oh, I have to have it said, okay, so would relationships and connectedness be one of your five core elements? And they're like, yeah. And then once we have those five, I go back and I say, okay, now the current job you're doing, does it hit relationships and connectedness? Now, I mean, it opens up the fact of where you are in life. And at the same time, maybe your present job only hits two out of five. But now you can see, well, what's missing? Now, can you bring that in? Can you talk mm -hmm. to a manager to say, I need some personal and professional development in this space? And I mean, if they're not able to provide that or you can't incorporate, let's say, three, four or five, um, can you bring that in in your social life or outside of your work environment? And if none of those work, is it time to basically shift and change? Um, the interesting thing about it is the fact that uh, when I do this exercise, and it is uh, more geared to the university environment, and I asked them, I said, so what are you motivated by? And funny enough, the lecture coming up next week is exactly on this topic. And I said, what are you motivated by? And the number one thing people will say, whether you're a young professional or a student, is money. And I say, okay. And then we go down and they give me more stuff, but money was the number one primary thing. And I tell them, okay, if money is your motivator, you know, why are you here? Don't you realize that, you know, there are jobs there that you could go and do. And I I was a janitor in a hospital. Mm -hmm. um, so I have total humbleness and respect for that position. But, 
you know, if money is your motivator, go go do something like that because you can get paid immediately and you know, incremental wages and and it's good money. And they're like, no, no, I, 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 but no. And I said, but if money is your motivator, then why are you not doing that? If if I'm wrong, go and do that. And I said, money is not a motivator. Money is a result of your motivation. So if you do this authentically, money's going to come because you are naturally talented at this. So yeah. let's start looking at what you're naturally talented at, and you will be really good at this. And as a result, people will acknowledge. Um, I use the example of a corner store and Starbucks. And I tell my students and I tell professionals, you know, if not today, because there's a bit of snow out there, if today was a nice day and you had to go buy a pair of flip-flops, uh, the corner store sells food, lottery tickets, coffee, fried chicken, hardware, you name it. Um, Starbucks. Would you go into Starbucks looking to buy a pair of flip-flops? And I said, well, absolutely not. I said, why not? And they're like, well, they only sell tea, coffee, food-related items. Could you do the corner store? And they're like, well, maybe. I said, okay, you need to become the Starbucks brand of what you're really good at. And you might get the odd person saying, but isn't it better to be the corner store because you can offer so much? And I said, but here's the problem. Professionals don't want to waste time thinking, can you maybe do this job? They want to know, can you do the job? So the more you are aligning yourself to a personal and, and able to promote that personal brand, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the opportunities are going to emerge. So it's simple as I that. I love it. And the fact that you're working with with people who may not yet be into their fully into their careers, yeah. Um, as an yeah. HR professional, I've just seen mm -hmm. too many people yeah. in ill-fitted suits, desperately yeah. unhappy, yep. and really not mm -hmm. knowing where to turn. Yeah, knowing that we should be teaching this as mm -hmm. a mandatory course in our high schools. You know, yeah. before people venture into the university years and and the expenditure of the funds, um, yeah. and Absolutely. I've also I've also seen people who are just so obviously mm -hmm. uh, in their passion, just mm -hmm. you know their eyes sparkle, they yeah. love what they're doing, and um, it's just so yeah. obvious. Yeah, and actually, Susan, the funny thing is, in my class, I make every single student in week two write a personal statement telling me who they are, not what they do. Mm -hmm. It's a difficult exercise. And they even say it's a difficult exercise. And many of them do give me a running resume, which I come back and I, I give them full marks for it because they've mm -hmm. given that. But I said, in the second one, I want you to change that. At the end of the term, I make them rewrite it based on the semester we've spent together. And I, you know, some of them are like, yeah, whatever. I'll just resubmit this and get my marks or whatever. And they don't. And some are just like, oh my gosh, like this is something I'm going to carry forward. But I make every single student write a personal statement telling me who they are and they introduce themselves to me that way. I think you're mm -hmm. going to have a few of our listeners looking you up. <laughs> I want to take that man's courses. And certainly, you know, you mm -hmm. do offer this coaching through um, yep. your business as well. I was going to ask you more about the ill-fitted suit, but I think we've probably yeah. talked sure. about that. Um obstacles and we, we kind of mm -hmm. hit on them a little bit earlier you know the reality sure. that there's always mm -hmm. stuff Set that points. happens yep. and that you see them as absolutely a necessary bridge on the yep. way to success yep. that we we actually those setbacks are required mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and certainly looking back on my own career the most difficult and challenging circumstances have always been my best learning mm -hmm. But as long as we take the time to learn from and understand what wasn't the fit, um, any tips mm -hmm. on how best to ride these waves? Like, sure. you know, I know we touched on a little bit earlier, but just anything more, because I think it's really important. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, as a society, I think we we've ingrained in society for ourselves from society that obstacles, you know, there's they're they're terrible and all, but. For me, obstacles, as I said, obstacles are the necessary bricks on the road to success. Do not fear the obstacles. Embrace them because that's where the growth happens and we learn from them. And, and those have become my setbacks. I mean, 
for example, when I graduated from university with a degree in business and political science, you know, you have that uh, idea or that attitude of, you know, I'm ready to tackle the world and who's lucky to get me. I started applying for jobs. And remember, I sent out three applications, or sorry, 13 applications. And about two weeks later, I got a letter in the mail and it basically said, well, you know, thank you for applying. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have a suitable position for you. Uh, good luck. And I thought, well, you're not lucky. And as a result, I said, okay, I'm going to apply for three more places. And it became like the tide. The more letters I sent out, the more letters came back. And I don't know why I did it. And for your listeners, I don't know. They, they, it's like I have 86 rejection letters. These are my rejections. And it's the size of a brick. And it weighs about as much as a brick. But there are 86 rejections of people who said, we don't have a job for you. We're not sure what you're looking for. And again, each one was a nail in my coffin of self-confidence. Mm -hmm. And eventually, through persistence, I got my first job. So business and political science. And people are like, okay, entry-level government. And I'm like, that's what I got, entry-level government. That's where I was a janitor in a hospital, mopping floors and emptying rubbish bins. And this is where, again, the I could look at it as an obstacle and the setback or the, the, the fact that, what am I doing here? Instead, I looked at it and said, but okay, I'm here. I'm going to figure out what to do here and move forward. And I actually pulled three life lessons from being a janitor in a hospital that carries me to who I am today. The first lesson, my father said, I don't care what you do, but you better do the best job possible because your reputation is on the line. There was no floor cleaner than at the end of my shift and no rubbish bin left full. The second part was there were times not every time, but there were times I would get on the elevator with nurses, doctors, and administrators, and I was ignored. I know what it feels like to be ignored because I'm not a professional at that point. This is why I talk to everybody. Everybody has a story. And I think there's a need for somebody to be able to listen to them, to make them feel like that they matter. And the third part of this is that in anything we do, I think sometimes we look at it as an absolute of this is good, this is bad, and we just proceed along. Instead, what do we learn along the way that becomes part of our arsenal that makes us stronger as individuals? Those three lessons came, and, and I look at it, those, those letters, I mean, I reflect on them now going, if one of those letters would have materialized, Susan, I wouldn't be with you today, and my life would have gone in a different trajectory. Actually, I embrace those letters and those rejections. And the second thing, as I look at many of these companies, they don't exist anymore. I still do. I outlasted them. We mm -hmm. will outlast them. But again, those obstacles, how are you going to focus on them? Is it going to drag you down or is it going to make you stronger to say, uh-uh, you've given me the power to now prove you wrong and I'm going to move forward stronger? take the second route, the high road, and say, I'm going to do what I can to get through this. Fabulous points. And I, I know certainly in the first jobs that I had, mm -hmm. the boredom, mm -hmm. you know, if I hadn't experienced that, the not feeling heard, the not feeling recognized, I've never forgotten that. Mm -hmm. And I know it, it too has become part of who I am. And for our listeners... I think that was a bit bigger than a brick <laughs> and he almost needed two hands to hold hold up he showed me <laughs> yeah. and i think it's important to not lose faith um yeah. i know when i look back that often the things that i wanted the most and didn't yeah. get mm -hmm. there was typically something better coming and i yeah. just had to have faith yeah. and believe that you know that wasn't meant to be um no exactly and, and, that, and I'll, I had a, a wonderful conversation because part of my career has been working on the Olympic bid uh, to work, get the games to Vancouver and uh, had a good relationship with John Furlong, who was the CEO. And I remember after the, we got the games, I, I wound up getting to SFU, but 
he carried on as the CEO of the organizing committee. And I remember after everything was said and done, I sent John a note and I said, John, you know, I just want to congratulate you and back and forth. And John said, just come to my office. Let's have a catch up and coffee together. So here I am sitting with John Furlong in his office, uh, the, just the two of us. And I told John, I said, one of the things that was a setback for me, John, is um, I got to do so much, but I really wanted to carry the Olympic torch and the torch relay. I even sent a note to the torch relay people in Canada saying, you know, anywhere, if somebody calls in sick or can't do it, I will fly wherever to do this. But I was always turned down, turned down. And they kept saying, look, you worked on the bid. You did something amazing. Don't don't look at it that way. And I said, no, but this is something I really want to do. So I shared that with John. And John's reply back to me was, um, Sam, I ran the show. I did not get to carry the torch. It's okay. <laughs> uh, so. I love it. But hey, you know what? The courage to have that conversation. Oh, yeah. yeah. Bold. And yeah. yeah, I mean, oh, well, yeah, really. <laughs> but then... Again, then you sort of look at it from that standpoint. Then years later, when I met SFU, um, there was an individual who we connected and he actually ran the entire show for the, he did the flame torch relay, like he organized it all. So I shared with him. And I just remember one day I went to class and uh, my teaching assistant said, um, by the way, so-and-so, he's um, he just needs you outside. He's got some stuff. And I said, oh, okay. So I told the class, I'll be right back. And then she knew what was going on. He actually had the torch and the Aww. outfit and he just said, Sam, I'm breaking an IOC rule here, but I'm going to light this and you get to walk around with it. And um, so I, I got to do it. So it's almost like, oh my gosh, it happened. I got to do it. Wow. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's also about putting it out there. Yeah. You know, and just not, you know, it's, it's like, you may not, you may if mm -hmm. you put, you put it out there and the path there might be completely different than, than you'd expected, but how yeah. exciting. Oh, that's wonderful. You strike me as a humble man. Um, I feel that it's necessary to share with, share with our listeners. You're the recipient of a number of really important and very well-deserved public recognitions. <clears throat> Not the frog in my, frog in my throat, sorry. Um, these being the Governor General's Canadian Sovereign's Medal for Volunteers. The, and that's for leadership and community development your passions, the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal, wow, and the Rick Hansen Difference Maker Medallion. Mm. Congratulations, well-deserved, and um, just very happy for you that you've been recognized for the work that you're doing. Well, and, and it's an acknowledgement, uh, and it represents all the amazing things I've gotten to do in society and life, and things I love doing. And it it's interesting because it's not the end point. It's actually another starting point to say, well, how much more can I give back and how much more can I do? And funny enough, I had a conversation with one of my students who started a nonprofit. And yesterday in my office, we're talking about, okay, how can I help your nonprofit? And, uh, you know, what is it that I can do to support your work? Um, I don't know. It's just one of those things of I've said to myself, I don't want to be a bystander in life. And, um, those are just acknowledgments and wonderful acknowledgments. But, uh, you know, and I and I'm like you said, uh, I'm appreciative of it. I'm humbled by it. Uh, but equally, at the same time, uh, I just feel like I got recognized and acknowledged for something that I really love to do. And, you know, that's that's such a great place to be. Well, <clears throat> I know I've done podcasts that we don't acknowledge and reward and recognize often enough so just really glad personally that um you have been and and uh and i know it's not a motivator for what you're doing it's just yeah. some a little piece a little piece of wonderfulness that came along during during your journey yep is there anything as we start yeah. to bring the podcast to a close that we have not thought to talk about or a nugget that we haven't um yeah. shared that that you would like to I just think that uh, for your listeners is the fact that uh, I want people to realize their significance and their brilliance. And, you know, we have choices to make in our lives. And I look at it as, and I reflect upon it as my life is like an hourglass. An hourglass is a vessel of time, but an hourglass is very reflective of my life in the sense that, you know, if you turn that hourglass upside down, 
<clears throat> the sand goes through that narrow chamber and falls below. If every grain represents a day of my life, I actually can count how many days I've been on this earth by just Googling my birthday when I was born to today. That's how many grains of sand lie below me. That's how many days I've lived. But how many grains are above me? One, tomorrow's my last day, 500, 5,000. We don't know. All I know is every morning I wake up, a single grain enters that narrow chamber. And the things I get to do, the people I get to speak with, uh, the company or the of, of people that I get to share with, and, uh, you know, it adds richness to that grain of sand. And at the end of the day, when I go to bed, that grain drops below. Over the last many, many years, I've just told myself I'm not going to waste a grain of sand. No matter what happens, again, it's not about, you know, cotton candy, clouded world with rainbows and unicorns, but I have a choice. And I've just chosen, I'm not going to waste a grain of sand. I look for the uh, gratitude. I look for the brilliance. I look for the opportunity to share and adding richness to that grain of sand. And we all have that same capacity because we all have a limited supply of grains of sand in our own personal hourglasses. How are you spending yours? Wow. <clears throat> what a phenomenal way to live. Yeah. And what a... What... I'm sure that people want will want more of you. So I want to share that you and two of your colleagues are mm -hmm. we're going to be offering, and it sounds like you will be, but it might it's just yes. being delayed. A mm -hmm. workshop titled "Activating the Voice Within: A Voyage of Self Discovery or Journey of Self Discovery." Mm -hmm. Now you are going to be holding that in Victoria Falls in Zimbabwe, Africa, yes. um, yes. in March of this year. I don't know whether you've reestablished a date. I know a lot of people would love to be part mm -hmm. of that. It's a four-day workshop. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, hoping that you'll at some point bring bring that a little closer to probably yep. most of our listeners on the west coast mm -hmm. of, of Canada. Um, right. Can you tell us a little bit about what that workshop is going to be? Um, yep. And funny enough, just this morning, I had a conversation with the colleagues of mine in Zimbabwe. Uh, so eight o'clock in the morning for me, 6 p.m. for them, but uh, we talked about it. And we are going to be doing it at 6 p.m. Uh, sorry, 6 p.m. We're going to be doing it uh, March of next year. But what we've also decided is we're going to do about two or three Zoom calls, uh, maybe an hour long, where each of us is going to take a component of mindfulness, self-care, personal development, and you know, we'll make that available to people so that uh, they can tap in and come in on Zoom. Uh, you know, it'll be about three times. But the idea is to give them an idea of what we're planning on doing. Okay. And yeah, there may be an opportunity to do it closer to home. It might not be with the same people or it may be with the same people, maybe somewhere in North America or South America. So it's a bit more accessible. But uh, mm -hmm. if somebody is looking for an adventure and uh, say, you know what, uh, this is something that I've wanted to go to Africa and I can incorporate a safari and other things. This is the place to be. And we're looking to do it more as an intimate group. So maybe about 15, no more than maybe 20, 22 people. So it's a small gathering, but they're going to be getting intensity with regards to self-care, personal development, mindfulness. Uh, so that, that will be coming up. And like I said, now we're planning on doing these one hour sessions uh, throughout the year, just to sort of, Say, here's some of the things we're going to talk about. But even if you don't come, take something away from what we do. Sounds wonderful. And I will make sure that all of your contact information is on sure. the show notes for the page yeah. uh, website that uh, people can keep posted on both this mm -hmm. potential Zoom opportunity, yeah. and the uh, Zimbabwe session itself. Yeah. You wanted to share with us so that if people have got pen and paper in hand. Sure. So the simplest way is to go to my website, which is www.sam-thiara, T as in Tom, H-I-A-R-A.com. I've got about 190 blog posts there about personal development, all free and accessible. Um, they can also connect with me on LinkedIn and just say that I heard you on, you know, Susan's uh, podcast and, uh, you know, I'm on there, I'm on Instagram and uh, Twitter. So those are places where people can find me. Excellent. I know I want more, so I'm sure that I <laughs> that I'm, I'm not the only one. Um, 
Sam, thank you so very much for making the time to be here today. And, and to our listeners, thank you for making the time to listen in. Um, it is time for the two of us to fly. We hope mm -hmm. that you have enjoyed um, our conversation. And remember, dare to soar, because we believe you can. Have a fabulous day. Thanks again, Sam. Thank you for having me and uh, appreciated an opportunity to share today. Take care, everybody. Bye for now. Well, we've reached our destination for today. Time to lower those wheels and prepare for landing. Thank you for joining me. If I said something that resonated with you, please subscribe to the podcast and to share it with others. It would be awesome if you also took the time to provide a review or whatever your favorite social media sites are. If you have a question or an area that you hope I'll cover in a future session, please send me a note either to my website, www.effectingchangefromwithin.com or to my email, susangene at gmail.com. I look forward to our next time together. In the meantime, soar high. I believe you can. Susan signing off. Thanks again for joining me.